I'm Shelly Smith and I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> Thank you so much uh, to the group for asking me to be here. Um, congratulations on an uh, anniversary. It's amazing um, to see an AA group thrive um, and be healthy for this long and to be of service to the community for this long. Um, so I'm really grateful to be here. I'm absolutely terrified and very nervous. <laughs> I, I get nervous every time I do this. I've, I've, I've done this probably dozens of times, and I feel this way every single time. And um, part of that is because before I came into AA, speaking openly and honestly and naturally about my true self to anybody was not something that I was capable of doing. And um, it still feels a little strange sometimes, but it's something that I can do today. Um, but also, I, you know, I just have tremendous amount of respect for Alcoholics Anonymous and for many people in this room. Um, AA saved my life, and, um, and I'm forever grateful for it. My sobriety date is June 9th, 2003. Uh, my home group is the Primary Purpose Group of Durham. We meet on Tuesdays and Fridays at 7.30. Uh, we are currently still on Zoom and about looking for a new church that will let us meet in person. So. Um, you're welcome to join us on Zoom anytime. Our structure is very similar to this group. Um, and um, I've been a member of a well-balanced home group for the majority of my sobriety, and I think that that is one of the things that's helped me to become a well-balanced member in person. Um, as Nicolette said, I'm, I do sponsor people, and I am actively sponsored, and I've been involved in service for the majority of my sobriety. Um, and all of those things, have led me to be able to be sober and happy today. I, I need every single one of those things. I don't think that I could have done this um, just by picking and choosing what I did in AA. Um, so I'm from Raleigh, I grew up around here, and um, I grew up in a very kind and loving home, and I think what, due to things, partly just my personality, but also partly, um, to what I now understand to be issues around mental health. I had a really hard time growing up, like feeling the love that was in my household or believing in it or that it was real or that I was deserving of it. And I had a lot of interior problems um, and a lot of depression issues. I had suicidal thoughts as a child. And I did not know that any of those things were things that you could ask for help around. I didn't know that that wasn't normal or that help was available and so, you know, I just kind of lived with that stuff, and I lived with a lot of fear, even though I didn't know to identify it as such until I came to AA, but looking back, that's exactly what it was, and it was all fear around being the center of attention, being disliked or rejected or saying the wrong thing, or you name it, I was afraid of it, so going to school was terrifying, I didn't know how to have conversations with people, I was extraordinarily shy. Um, up through you know years into sobriety. I mean, I had a really hard time having conversations with people. I didn't know how to do that. Um, and so when I found alcohol as a teenager, it really was a solution for me right from the beginning. Like I sought out drinking to solve those problems. I didn't drink for any other reason than to solve those problems. And I think that I drank alcoholically from the beginning. I don't really have um, the experience of being a quote-unquote social drinker and then like crossing a line and then, you know, and not being able to go back. Like I drank for oblivion from day one, I drank for the effects for day one, and I drank um, to escape from day one. I didn't see any other purpose of drinking. And I preferred from day one to drink straight liquor. I didn't, I knew beer took longer. I thought if you mixed it with stuff, it would take longer. Like we have a goal, we are gonna get there. Like I don't know what y'all are gonna say. Um, 
And so in the beginning, you know, I, I always, people thought it was really funny, like, to see, you know, I, I, I don't know, I weighed like 95 pounds back then, and like, to just turn up a straight bottle of vodka, people thought that was really funny, and I felt like I could do something, you know, and, but what alcohol really did for me in the beginning was that it took all of those fears and those worries and um, those self-doubts away. And I didn't feel like a new person or a superhero. I just felt like a normal person. I felt that I was finally on the same playing field as everybody else. And that I could have a conversation with somebody and not second guess everything I said. Like I just felt normal for once. And that was all I really wanted. Um, and so I decided to do that as often as I could um, from then on. But being a teenager and being from a family in which I had parents that paid very close attention, the opportunities were few and far between. Um, when I was 17, I moved to Winston-Salem to go to an arts high school. And uh, I was always really good at art. You know, I, I struggled in school with other things. I had this inherent belief that I just wasn't smart enough to be a good student. And nobody told me that. That's just what I told myself and it became a truth. And, but I always excelled in art. And um, so I went to this arts high school and it was like they took all the misfits from all the high schools in North Carolina and they put us in the same place and I felt like these are my people. And, um, but two weeks after I moved there, one of my best friends was killed in an accident. Um, and I had never had that experience before. I had never known anyone that wasn't really, really old to die and I had never known anyone that I was close to like in that way to die. And I had no skills to handle that. Um, I didn't know how to talk about my feelings. I didn't have a relationship with higher power. And um, I turned to alcohol and I retreated inward. And the other thing that was significant about that was that I actively made a conscious decision to not only never believe in God after that happened, but to um, have great judgment and mock people that did. And I felt that way and lived that way for a long time. And it was, that was a barrier for me coming into AA. That was something that I really struggled with when I got here, was all of the language and the talk around God and around a power greater than ourselves. And I truly believed that I, this was not going to be able to work for me because of that. And I'm so incredibly grateful today that I have a different experience of not only AA, but of my own spirituality. And that what the steps have done for me is that they showed me how to connect with that aspect of myself that was already there and to develop a relationship with a higher power that worked for me and to learn how to talk about that in language that felt right and true for me. And that relationship is what has saved my life in this fellowship. Um, and I no longer feel that judgment around people that have a different relationship than I do or whatever. Like I just. I feel free of that, and that is a, a gift that I never expected to have, nor is, is it one that I wanted or sought out, but I'm so grateful for it today. Um, so I ended up, um, I moved off campus my second year there, and it became this big party house, and that's when I started drinking every day. It was the first opportunity that I had, and I hadn't, I really didn't like experience a lot of consequences in the beginning, um, but when I finished that program in high school, and I got a scholarship to a really, really good school in Chicago, and I was terrified to go. I didn't want to go. Um, and I think looking back, 
I knew, like somewhere in my consciousness, I knew that that was going to be, like that was like the big leagues and that was gonna be really hard and that I would not be able to do that and drink the way I was drinking at the same time. And so my instinct was just to not do that um, because I had already lost the power of choice at that point. I could not step away from alcohol. But my parents convinced me to give it a shot and to go for a year and I did. And um, I ended up dropping out. I had a medical um, situation that didn't have anything to do with drinking that, that caused me to withdraw and I moved back to North Carolina. But when I did, um, I decided not to go back to school. I had believed that this like that school was this racket, that college was a, like a grift, and that like I could <laughs> teach myself anything that I wanted to know. And and also, what happened during that time was that I had stopped spending time with anybody that didn't drink like me. I'd had a couple experiences with people that didn't drink like me, in which I felt shame, ashamed of the way that I was drinking, and I knew that I couldn't drink any other way. And so my solution to that was to just not hang out with people that didn't drink like me. Again. I, I had no power of choice in that moment. And so I, what I decided to do when I was 19 was to move to New York City. And I moved in with a friend of mine who was in college. Um, and I started working in this like bar, restaurant, music venue. Um, and I turned 21 there. And that is when everything changed. That was the last barrier for me to, that was keeping me from drinking the way that I really wanted to drink. And um, and I, I lived in New York for four years. Um, I was there from 99 to 2003. Those are the last four years of my drinking. And that's where I hit bottom. Um, over the course of those four years, I think some people in my family thought that like New York did it to me. And I think that it is true <laughs> that you can find absolutely anything that you're looking for in that city. And I found exactly what I was looking for there. Um, I've been back many, many times and I have good friends and family that live there still and I've had a completely different experience there and I've had sober experiences and been to meetings there and like there's a whole other world outside of that like seedy dark world that I was living at that time. Um, but that's where I was in, in those years and um, I was drinking every day. I had lost everything that had made me me. You know, when I got here and I would hear these stories of people talking about how they had run marriages into the ground or lost their businesses or their families or all of these things. And I just, none of that happened to me. And I compared myself a lot until I realized that like I hadn't ever gotten any of those things to lose yet. Like my drinking prevented me from achieving or excelling in any way whatsoever. And so what I did lose was my sense of self. Any amount of self-respect or self-worth that I had left was completely gone. I hated myself. I lived in such utter self-loathing and hatred every second of every day. The thoughts of suicide had returned and they were like wallpaper in my brain. I just lived with these voices kind of in my head telling me like that that was always an option. And I was not opposed to dying. Um, I was constantly putting myself in situations that were unsafe. Um, I had no regard for my own personal safety, and I did not, I was not able to take my own life. And so I lived in that purgatory of in between where every day when I woke up, the first thought that would come to me was another, I have to do this again. And then the second thought that would come in would be this flood of memories of everything that had happened the night before because I didn't really black out that much. I had a couple blackouts, but for the most part, I, I remembered everything. 
And so before I barely even opened my eyes, I would be filled with that guilt, shame, and remorse of all the places I had been, the people I had been with, the things I had done, the lines I had crossed I never said I would cross, or the things that I did again that I swore I never would. And it was too much to bear. And I would take something to calm myself down and I would go into work. And at this point I was working at um, a bar, which was like this country western themed bar. Um, and I wanted to work there because uh, we were allowed and encouraged to drink while we worked. Um, and it was like a thing. Um, I'm like, this is the place for me. So I, um, I would go into work and I would tell myself, like this was my attempt to control my drinking, I would tell myself I could only drink beer until 10 o'clock, because what I really wanted to do was drink whiskey. But I wouldn't drink whiskey until 10. Um, but I could never make it until 10 p.m. Like I would, something would happen, and I'd be like, "Well, I, you know, somebody would want to buy me a shot." I'm like I can't be rude, you know, and so I would take a shot. Um, or whatever, like the flimsiest of excuses. And then I would, next thing I knew, I would be too drunk to work, and then I would take something else, and I would be able to drink all night long, and then, and that's what I would do. Um, and in New York, the bars close at 4 a.m., and so what we would do is close down the bar, kick everybody out, and they would pull down these big metal shades over all the windows, so it was like this totally dark womb, and we would have, you know, just after hours in there for however long we lasted. And then, um, morning would come, and I would see the light kind of shooting through the cracks of those metal shades, and I would know, like, I, I would be terrified. Like, nothing struck more fear in my heart than the sight of the sunrise, because I knew that that meant that I was gonna have to walk out onto that street by myself, coming down, going home alone to face what I, who and what I was and what my life had become. And that's, and I would, I would walk out onto that busy Manhattan street, and this was in like lower Manhattan, and people would be bustling to work with their coffee and their dry cleaning, and I would stand there like a zombie and stare at them, and I would just think like, I cannot do that. I can't do this, like I don't understand how that works, life. Like, how do you go to work? How do you have dry cleaning? How do you get coffee and maintain a life? Like, I cannot function in this way. And I felt like an alien. I felt, I, I believe that there was something so inherently bad and wrong with me that I was just too broken for this world to be able to function in it. And, and it went on like that. Um, and, uh, you know, what happened to me was nothing spectacular. There was no great event that got me sober. A couple things led up to it. Um, I had tried a number of ways to stop drinking on my own. I had tried, you know, drugs are a big part of my story. I always drank and did drugs together. Um, I talk mainly about alcohol here, but I think I got sober young in a large part because of the drugs. But I would try different things like, you know, giving that up and then I would drink more or I wouldn't drink at all and so I'd be doing more, you know, it was like this constant like shuffling, like whack-a-mole, like if I can just arrange it just right then everything will be fine. And I could never arrange it and so I would, you know, I ended this relationship um, because he was the problem or I quit that job at the bar because, you know, if I didn't work there I wouldn't drink so much or, I mean, everything that I could think of and nothing worked. Um, and so I ended up going to this like alcohol counselor. I went one time and I did not know what she did. Uh, what I wanted her to do was to tell me how to drink like a normal person. Um, <laughs> but so I told her, I also was like lying to everybody. Like my family in North Carolina did not know what was going on. 
I had friends that I, some friends that I partied hard with and they kind of knew, but like even those friends we would say goodnight and like, oh yeah, going home, ha ha ha, and then I would just walk down to the bar and drink more by myself. Um, so like nobody really saw the full picture except for me um, and that boyfriend and I ended up, you know, leaving him because I couldn't stop when he asked me to. And so I saw this alcohol counselor and I told her about 60% of the truth of the way I was living. And she gave me an AA meeting schedule. And I was like, no, that's not the solution that I'm looking for, you know. And I did not know anything about AA. I, to my knowledge, I had never met anyone in AA. I had never been to a meeting. I maybe knew, like, what I thought I knew about AA was that we went around apologizing to everyone we'd ever met for everything we'd done wrong, that we all believed in Jesus, and that we were miserable and in this, like, cult. And that was what I believed. And, um, and she, she was like, why don't you want to go to AA? And I said all that, and then I said... And those people don't drink at all. And I don't understand why you can't drink, why you can't just have one or two. Why do you have to not drink at all? And she said, well, Shelly, for some people, it's easier to not have any than it is to try to just have one or two. And that really hit me, and I knew exactly what she meant. And I took the meeting schedule, which back then was like a phone book. Like it was, there was a meeting every hour in New York at that time. And so I went home, and every day I would do the same thing. I would pick a meeting that I was gonna go to that day and then I would get drunk. And I, like I said, I didn't know anything about AA, so I did not know that I could come to a meeting after I'd been drinking. I thought that that was against the rules, or it was disrespectful, or it would like put you all in danger or something. Like I thought that I had to be like totally sober to walk in the door. And I could not stay sober for 24 hours. And so I never ended up going to a meeting. Um, So what happened was I ended up going seeing this therapist because I was, you know, I, I called my parents and was like, I'm really depressed um, and I need some help. And I didn't mention anything else. And so they helped me get a therapist. And for some reason, I told that therapist 100% of the truth. I don't know why, um, but I did. And she said, you know, we can talk about whatever you want to talk about in here, but you're not going to feel better until you do something about your drinking. And I didn't want to talk about that. And so... Every day we would talk about whatever. She would ask me how much I'd had to drink since I last saw her. And I would tell her the truth and then we would keep going. And one day she said to me, you know, if you ever get to a point where you don't feel like you have any options, I want you to know you can call me. And I just thought, well, that's dumb. Like, why would I call you? But I filed it away. Because um, it wasn't even like she fully understood al alcoholism either. Like, she, she would tell me, like, why don't you just get a Pellegrino? And I would think, like, well, first of all, they don't serve Pellegrino where I'm at. And secondly, who, no, like, that's not what's happening here. So, but I still, like, was very truthful with her. So anyway, one day, it was, you know, I was at that bar. And um, it was whatever time in the morning it was, and the light was coming in through the cracks. And I had what I believe is a moment of clarity, and I took what I believe today to be step one without realizing it. And in that moment, I saw my life exactly for what it was. I saw that I was completely and totally powerless over this situation, over my drinking, and that my life was completely unmanageable, and that I had no solution. That there was nothing absolutely nothing that I or anyone else around me could do to change this and that this was as good as it was ever going to get and it was only going to get worse from here and I believe all of those things were true and I believe that that was me acknowledging step one um, but I stopped I had no other solution right I didn't have AA yet so 
in that moment, the only thing I could think of to do was to kill myself. And so I made a decision to do that. And I walked out onto that street and I got into a cab and I had remembered that I had this appointment with this therapist for that morning. And, and I remembered that she had said that to me. And so I decided for whatever reason to tell the cab to go to her office instead of my house. And I did, and I told her what my plan was, and um, which is how I ended up getting committed, because um, I did not know. <laughs> I really didn't know that they have to do something about that. Um, and so she, you know, ended up in uh, in New York Presbyterian Hospital, and they put me in this little like holding room. They took my clothes, my keys, and my shoes, and gave me a paper outfit to wear. And I sat there for I think about six hours, but it felt like a lifetime. And a lot of stuff happened in my mind in that moment. But what really happened that is significant is that I believe that I surrendered in that moment. And what that felt like was that I just quit fighting. I realized how much of a fight every single day had been for my entire life and how, how I didn't want to do it anymore. And that if I spent the rest of my life sitting in that room or in that hospital ward, it would be just a little bit better than it was out there and I'd take it. And so, um, I ended up spending about three weeks in that hospital, and I got introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous there. Um, that happened in two ways. One, I was 12-stepped uh, by a woman who, um, she was a bartender at a bar that I used to drink at, very messily drink at, and would argue with her from time to time. And um, I had no idea that she was in sobriety. I had no idea she was a member of AA. She had two years. And she heard that I was there, and she came to see me. And my mom happened to be there, and she sat with me. Um, and I sat on the bed, and she sat in a chair, and she talked to me. And I remember when I came to AA in North Carolina after this, and I walked into a meeting, and they had a little like laminated picture of that painting of the man on the bed. And I just remember thinking, like, that happened to me. But like, to know that this has been going on since you know the 30s. Um, one of the most significant things that happened to me when I came to AA is that I didn't feel alone anymore, and I didn't feel like I was wrong or bad anymore. Like, I felt like, oh, somebody is finally explaining to me what is wrong with me. And so, you know, she talked to me about her experience in sobriety and her experience in Alcoholics Anonymous, and she didn't preach at me, and she didn't try to convince me of anything. And she was a bad woman, like she was covered in tattoos and piercings, like this woman was like tough as nails. And I remember thinking like, this lady, she's an AA, like maybe I could do this. Um, but, uh, and I, that was the last time I ever saw her. I never saw her again. I don't know what happened to her. She's still sober, I hope that she is. Um, and I hope that she knows how much she helped me. But there were also people, members of AA, that were taking meetings into that facility, um, just like we do in this area. And so they would bring a meeting in every week, and it would be the same people, but I never remembered them because I was on so many drugs there. They would like tell me their story over and over again. But um, like I do remember that they were clean, they were peaceful, they had jobs, they had senses of humor, and they also had stories that matched the life that I was living and they were walking out of there and I was stuck there. And that really stuck with me. And so they agreed to release me if I went to a 28-day treatment program, which I did. And that's how I ended up back in North Carolina. And when I got out of that treatment program, they had told me, get a sponsor, get a home group, get a service position, get a network of women. And I was like, all right. And I got a sponsor and I got a boyfriend. And I was like, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember my sponsor saying to me, like, 
you know, Shelley, there are a lot of reasons why we advise against this, and here they all are, and she listed them for me, and she said, but who am I to say that you're not supposed to have this experience? Um, and bless that woman, because I entered into that relationship, and it dominated my entire first year of sobriety. Um, it was a very unhealthy, unbalanced, and abusive relationship, and it kept me from fully engaging in Alcoholics Anonymous. I, um, when that relationship ended, and that sponsor was the most kind and patient woman. Every time I called her, it was to talk about him. Every single time. And she would say, well, you know, have you started your four step yet? And I'd be like, no, but listen. You know? <laughs> and, and she never, I never felt judged by her, ever. But she, you know, she also didn't co-sign anything. And so, when that relationship ended, she had moved. Um, I realized that I had no, I had like one friend in AA, but like I had no network in AA. I did not have a home group. I had never, I didn't even know what it meant to be of service. I wasn't in contact with my sponsor. I had only gone to the meetings that he wanted to go to. And I realized that if I never went back to another AA meeting, nobody would notice. And that was absolutely terrifying to me. And so what I did, was I went to Raleigh Young People's because there was a group, at that time there were not that many sober young people as there are now, and there was like five women that were like really like serious about recovery um, that were young, and I didn't want to have anything to do with them, and they were so nice to me, but I was like, eh, okay. Um, and I went to that group, and I sought them out, and I said, you know, like this is what's going on, this is where I'm at, and I'm really scared. And one of them looked at me and she said, you know, we've been waiting for you. And I will never forget that. Because I think about that a lot, for a lot of reasons. But one, like I think about it today when I don't feel like going to a meeting. When it's at the end of the day and I know, like, I'm probably not going to drink today. Like, do I really need to go to this meeting? I'm tired. I want to sit on the couch. And I don't know what I would have done if those women had been tired and sat on their couches. You know? and, um, and after that group, like, I joined another group. And I was a member of this group for 16 years. I was there for every Tuesday and Thursday for 16 years. And one day, one night, um, this was in like 2018 or 2019, like not that long ago, I was at my home group and this woman walked in the door and we recognized each other immediately. And she was the first woman that I ever sponsored. Um, she was the first woman that I ever had the privilege of listening to her first step back in 2004. Um, and she had not stayed sober. I hadn't seen her in years. I had never really knew what had happened to her. And we hugged and I was like, I'm so glad to see you. And, you know, she said, um, you know, I'm, I'm just coming back from a relapse, and when I decided to come to this meeting tonight, I wondered if I would see you, but I thought, like, man, there's no way, like, there's no way she'll still be there, like, it's been 15 years, and here you are. And I said, yeah, here, here I am. And she said, you've been here the whole time? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been here the whole time, just waiting for you. And the truth is, like, I didn't know she was going to come to that meeting that night. And I don't know who's going to walk in the door. And I don't know who is going to find meaning in seeing me or you still here. Um, but I do know that everything that we do in Alcoholics Anonymous is important and has value. And that is from the readings that we do in the, for, in the beginning to the speaker at the podium, the shares, passing the basket, to sitting in the seat. Because sometimes all it takes is seeing somebody sitting in a seat and know that they're still there and that maybe you can do it too. And that woman is still sober today. Um, but I think about those women that were there for me. And that first home group I got, you know, they put me into a service position right away. And that changed my life. 
for the first time ever, you know, I was, I, I was the hospitals and institutions rep, so I was going into the, the hospitals and, and sharing a meeting, and it was a small home group, and so, you know, sometimes it would just be me, and I didn't know what to do. And they told me, you know, this is about experience, strength, and hope, just share that. And I felt like, that's okay, like, I don't know what that means, but I realized, like, all I had to do was tell them, like, I've literally been in a place just like this, and I felt how you felt, and I don't live that way anymore, and this is why, and if you want to know more about that, I can show you. And that's all I had to do, and that was enough to give me a sense of purpose that I had never felt in my life before. It allowed me to take all of those experiences in which I was filled with guilt, shame, and remorse, those things that I wished would go away or that I could just push away with drinking that would never quite leave my life, and it took all of that and it gave it a useful purpose to help somebody else. And I have been through a lot in sobriety. It has not been... Like, I've, I've never really had a pink cloud. I love that people do. <laughs> I love it when I hear people say, like, I walked into A and I felt at home and, like, these are my people. Like, I, that was not my experience. Um, I love AA today, but it was more of, like, a slow burn for me. Um, but, but the ups and downs that I've had in sobriety, and there have been some really, really dark times. And somebody would always say, like, you know, you're going to be able to help so many people with this. And I would always be infuriated by that. Like, I don't want to have this experience for somebody else. <laughs> but that has been true every single time. And there have been several things that I have experienced that I have never known anyone else to have this particular problem or this particular, like, traumatic thing only to sponsor someone when hearing their fist step and I say, is there anything else that you've left out? And they say, yeah, there's this one thing and it's that one thing that I have experience with. That has happened to me more than once. And I would never, ever trade that for anything. Um, I have been involved in service ever since then. I don't believe that I would be here today if I was not. Um, and I have repaired the relationships in my life and my family. And like I said, it's been tough. Like There have been hard times I've experienced. Like those mental health things that I experienced as a child, Like that stuff didn't just go away when I got sober. Like Those are outside issues for sure. But they're also, for me, very parallel with my sobriety. And what I've learned is that I cannot have good mental health practices if I'm not sober. And I cannot stay sober if I'm not taking care of my mental health. Like, I have to do both of those things. And in 2000, late 2016, 2017, I had a very severe mental health crisis in sobriety. And it was, 2017 was one of the worst years of my life. It was right up there with the year I got sober as far as like just horrible things. And I wasn't sure that I was going to survive it. And part of what happened in that experience, and I don't know if this is a chicken or the egg which came first, but part of what happened was that my relationship with my higher power was completely and totally severed. And that I became very angry at AA and a lot was wrapped up in that. And that was terrifying for me. What happened, and the reason I'm telling you this, is that I survived that, A. I didn't engage in any self-harm, self-destructive behaviors. I didn't drink, I didn't get high. I got to the other side of it, and I can look back on that and see that A was working for me the entire time because I was taken care of in that way. And I've had the opportunity to rebuild my relationship with Alcoholics Anonymous. I never stopped going to meetings, and I never stopped sponsoring people. I'm not saying I was the best sponsor in that time, but I was still there. 
And I have been able to rebuild a relationship with a higher power that is different than it was before and that feels better and, and more real for me. And now being on the other side of that experience, I can look back and feel stronger and healthier than I was before that happened. And that is because of the principles of Alcoholics Anonymous working in my life. Somebody that's been sober long, longer than I am, longer than I've been alive actually, talks about frequently that at some point in your sobriety the numbers have to fall off the steps. That they just start to synthesize in your life as principles that guide you throughout the day. And that there is no like, what step are you on? Or I'm working on this, or I've, I've completed the steps, or yeah, I did that once. Know that this is truly a design for living and it's something that can be applicable in any situation. And I don't know exactly when that happened for me. I can't put a finger on the moment that that turned, but it has. And I feel like I can get through anything. Not just that like I can survive it, that's significant, but that I can have an experience that I'm not sure that I can survive and I can get through and later find the grace that was there all along. And Alcoholics Anonymous taught me how to do that. So I went from a person that never saw any value in myself, that did not want to live, that had nothing to offer, and now not only did AA save my life, but it gave me a life that I'm excited to live today. It gave me a life that I feel like I look forward to, like I don't know what is in store for me. I went back to school, I got a master's degree, I have a job that I am proud of and that I love that I never thought I would be able to do. And all of the, that feels like extra on top because all I wanted was for the pain to stop. Like that's all I was asking for when I got here. And I'm so, so grateful that I stayed even when I didn't want to, that I was able to be open-minded just enough to learn from all of your experience so that I could get this life that AA has given me today that I could have that third step promise come true in my life that's, that says to me that no matter what happens to me, I'm gonna be okay. That I can match calamity with certainty and that I can have a different reaction to this life. I will never be able to repay the gift that Alcoholics Anonymous has given me. There's just not, it's not possible. But I can live a life in which I try in every way. So thank you very much. <laughs>